Well, hello. Good evening. It's really weird because, like, I thought there were people in here a second ago. I'll try that again. Hello. Good evening. Hello. Uh, that's a really cool piece we just saw there and experienced there. I think so often uh, when it comes to acts of compassion and, and justice, it, um, it really quick can go to projects instead of people and partnerships and friendships. So I, I would encourage you guys to check out the Be Refreshing stuff. I mean, I think that's, I don't even go to your church and I think it's good. So, uh, I would highly recommend it for whatever that's worth. Just so you know, I'm Jarrett Stevens and, uh, I'm Josh's friend. And uh, I love status. I want you guys to know that. I think some people can come in and be like, Hey, what's happening? Just got in. You don't understand. I, I know about you guys a lot. I've actually been tracking with your community for years now. And uh, as much as Josh tells me not to, I listen to the podcast. And uh, love, even when Josh preaches for an hour and 17 minutes, I still... I have like four workouts in that time. And I still stay with you guys. And so it really is actually fun for me to be here with you guys tonight. Uh, to be a part of this series. Uh, before I kind of go into my, because you don't really know who I am, uh, I can kind of just move into this, but I want you to get a glimpse into who I am. Um, so let's just have a me moment right now, shall we? Uh, so you understand who you're spending the next 35 minutes with. Uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens, uh, married to Jeannie, who taught here a couple months ago. Is anyone here? My wife Jeannie spoke uh, on Life of David. I'm glad. Oh, and you, and you. Oh, okay, good. Uh, well, she's like, this is, she's the hot one in our family. And, uh, no, I'm okay with it. I'm totally okay with it. Uh, hand to God truth. This earlier this week, uh, someone on my staff said, Hey, seriously, um, how did she end up with you? And they said that I think in love. I don't know, uh, why, because, uh, she's great and incredible and brilliant and, and hot. Um, <laughs> And so I brought a couple of pictures. I want to just show you just a little bit of my family and who we are. And then we'll kind of get into this. But I want you just to know a little bit about where I'm coming from. Because this is, this is my team. It's my family. And so I want to show you a picture of Jeannie and Elijah, our son Elijah and I. All right. So this is us. Uh, yeah, you can tell. Look at, just look at the dopey smile on me and the hotness of my wife. You'd ask the same question. Well, how did she end up with you? Uh, so that's my wife, Jeannie. And then that's our son, Elijah. He's 19 months old. And he's just, he's just tough. Check him out, man. He's like, he's got the faux hot going on, but he's also got this lip thing like, what? What? <laughs> like, if you get a little, he'll cut you. If you get too close, he'll cut you. He's like that. Um, so that's, we just, we stinking adore our son. We love him. He's a kick in the pants. He was just here a little bit ago. And uh, so much fun. In fact, I think we have an Easter picture next. I want to show you from Easter. Uh, please. <laughs> Seriously. Come on. Uh, that's a full-on seersucker matching whole ensemble that he's got going on there. And from everything I understand, I know I, I heard Jesus like Easter is supposed to be about Jesus, but once we had Elijah, it really became about dressing him up. And uh, I like have to confess the day after Easter, like, oh yes, and you, Lord, um, because he is cute. He is cute indeed, and uh, we just we we love getting our little guy dressed up. And then finally, uh, as Josh said, Josh and Rebecca are our closest friends in the world. This is their son, Gavin, and daughter, India, and, and that's Elijah there on the left, Gavin on the middle, and then India. How ridiculously cute is that picture? Like, they're best buddies. They're absolute best buddies. And what uh, India and Elijah don't know is, one, you can't take pictures with your tops off for too much longer. Um, two, uh, we've already arranged for them to be married, so we've taken the whole dating stress out of there. They don't have to date God's way. They don't have to do any. They don't have to kiss dating goodbye. We've already arranged marriage for them. And they'll thank us one day. And so, and I guess this, we'll show this at their reception. And I, apparently Gavin's doing the ceremony. He's the pastor. I mean, isn't he gonna have like a pastoral look, smile? 
I was hoping like that would you know that would end with Josh, but it looks like it's passed on to Gavin too. So uh, so we just absolutely love these guys, and it's it's a honestly for us it's it's very fun for me to finally be with you guys. But it, for us, it's an excuse to come see Josh and Rebecca and the kids. Uh, so we've, you have been in the series, and I've been listening, uh, called The Sound of Your Voice and Understanding. The voice that God has given you to speak into uh, this community, into status, and to speak into the world. Your friends' lives, your family, the people you work with, school, wherever it may be. Uh, the question is not whether or not God has given you a voice. It's what is your voice. If you're in relationship with Him, if you are trusting Him as, as uh, your Father and you have this love relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, you have a voice. He's given you a voice, an identity, a way not only to be but to do. Uh, a way for you to speak. A way for you to communicate the heartbeat of God. And it's going to be different for every one of us. Tonight we're looking specifically at the role of a poet. And some of you instantly just resonate. I mean, some of the pieces that we've done already uh, tonight, you saw Johnny's story on video, you heard some of these stories uh, from Refreshing, and you're just like, you connect. And you, I don't even need to do what I'm about to do over the next few minutes. You already know that you have the voice of a poet. It's just been, you know, you're an artist through and through, and you know that. And so this is hopefully really going to be encouraging stuff for you and challenging stuff for you. But also for those of you who aren't, <laughs> who just joyfully and clearly are not artistic, uh, there's also, I think, something for each of us to learn to speak more poetically when it comes to communicating the heart of God. I think every one of us has something to learn about speaking even in the way that God speaks about Himself. How do we bring more image uh, and story and beauty into talking about a God who speaks this way so often about Himself? So I think there's uh, hopefully something for every one of us in here. But just kind of so we can uh, see where people are at. How many of you have had to have ever written, just by show of hands, a poem at some point in your life? You had to do it at a school project, you had to do it for a girl or a guy that you liked. Okay, good. How many of you, by show of hands again, uh, it didn't suck? <laughs> okay, so good, you're the poets. Uh, good, the rest of us, find your voice. Um, right, because now, what we're going to be talking about poets and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about artists, though, too, in the general sense of the term. I, this is something that really resonates with me, because uh, I honestly, I think this is the, well, and I don't think, I know this is the voice God has given me. Literally and, and figuratively. I know that I love the power of words and taking things that kind of don't belong and putting them together and then seeing the new meaning that comes from them. I love it. That's why I love poetry so much because it, it, it brings words together in such a way that stirs the heart and, and, and uh, just lights the imagination on fire. And so, uh, I, so, yeah, that's been me. I mean, I've been kind of uh, around poetry and writing poetry ever since an early age. In fact... Uh, early on, there was a uh, poem that I had heard that I, moved me so, uh, in, in, like as much as you can be moved at a young age, I committed the piece to memory. It's like, that is, so, I, that is a truth for my life that I need to know for the rest of my life. And it's said so beautifully that I need to, I need to remember that wherever I go. And I don't know if it's weird. I, I would love to... Would it be cool if I recited this piece to you that like I've had with me since I was basically a kid? Is that cool? Is that weird? Well, it doesn't matter. I have the mic, so why am I even asking you? Um, this is a piece maybe you've heard, maybe you've, if you've gone through and done any sort of art appreciation, you've studied it in college. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I have it written down just in case, but I'm going to see if I can do it. I said a hip, hop, a hippie to the hippie to the hip, hip, hop, you know, stop a rock to the bang, bang, boogie, said up jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to the beat. Now what you hear is not a test. Because I'm rapping to the beat. And me, Groove, and my friends are going to try and move your feet. See, I am Wonder Mike. And I'd like to say hello to 
the black, to the white, the red, the brown, the purple, and yellow. But first, I got a bang, bang, boogie to the boogie, set up, jump the boogie to the bang, bang, boogie. Let's rock. You don't stop. You rock the riddle that'll make your body rock. All right, so that's a piece I learned as a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, applause only makes it worse. It only, only makes it worse. Sadly, hip-hop was some of the first and sometimes only poetry I know. Street poetry, right? I know you're like, hey, white guy. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I love hip-hop because, honestly, at its core element, there is, is this idea of taking words and images and connecting those, and then there's a beat to it, and then you can, like, pop and lock to it. It's like, oh, man, forget about it. Forget about it. I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. And often, I know it's not the most uplifting form of poetry, and in fact, it's some of the most unintelligent form of poetry lots of times. I don't care. I love it. Uh, because it just stirs up that whole idea of creativity, of imagination, and that is what the voice of a poet does, and that is why uh, the voice of the poet is so needed in our culture. We need people to remind us of how simple and how beautiful things can be. Now, I've been writing poetry for years. Uh, I have a couple journals of poems that I've written that I've kept. Uh, some of them suck massive. Some of them are not so bad. Uh, some of them I'm actually really proud of. Some of them have actually been really uh, shaping in my own life and kind of helping me process and express my heart towards God. And I've shared lots of them with other people. Some of them are just for me and God. I remember uh, one of the earlier pieces that I wrote was in fifth grade. Uh, I wrote a poem. I think it's for a class project. And I wrote, I wanted to express kind of like my heart for God, because I was, I was a Christian at the time, I mean, I still am, uh, in case you're wondering, after the hip-hop. Um, I was like, oh, how do I express my heart towards God? And so I wrote this poem down called My Perfect Dad. And because I wanted to express how I thought God was like a, um, well, like a perfect dad. And so in my best, like, fifth grade sing-songy, you know, horrible rhyme scheme kind of way, uh, I put this piece together. I, it, was, it was actually pretty cool. It was a pretty cool piece. The only catch is my mom somehow found it and, or got it and read it and was so moved that she shared it with my dad. Who thought the piece was about him? And so now my dad is crying because he read this poem that his son wrote about his perfect dad. And I, as a fifth grader, am having to face now explain to my dad that God's a better dad than him. <laughs> and, like, I thought maybe from the title, My Perfect Dad, he might have figured out that it's not so much about him, or at least about the part about his omnipotence. You know, like, it's like I mean, I guess my dad thinks really highly of himself and his, you know, his all-powerfulness. Um... But I learned actually early on by writing My Perfect Dad that one of the most beautiful things and powerful things about poetry, about any art for that matter, is that it really leaves things open to interpretation. It doesn't give answers so much as it leaves uh, some blanks. And it really puts things into your hands, ultimately into your heart to go, okay, what do I take from this? What do I, how does this move me? How does this affect me? Where do I collide with this thing that this person has captured? Whether it's a poem, whether it's a painting, whether it's a song, whether it's a film, whether it's a book, whatever it is, that's the power of what this voice can bring. And good poetry, or good art for that matter, uh, however you slice it, uh, really does, should, should do a whole lot more than, uh, than just make dads cry. Uh, at some level, good poetry, good art, and good artists uh, give us a different perspective. They help us see things in a different light. Uh, a, an artist is less concerned with proving things than they are with evoking things. This is not just a mental ascent. This is about the soul. This is about connecting the heart. Uh, great art uh, should stir. It should challenge 
it should inspire. It should connect the dots between the head and the heart. It should bring color back to our world that we so often try and make black and white. That's what good art should do. Rather than just explaining everything to us, it suggests, it stirs, it inspires. Uh, This is why uh, I think for thousands of years, faith and art have been so intricately connected. Art and faith have for so many years been best friends. Art and faith, best friends. In fact, they would vacation together with beauty and mystery. Those guys hung out together and had a wonderful time. They seemed totally inseparable. Four of them, art and faith, beauty and mystery. Uh, Until a couple hundred years ago, something happened. Something uh, changed. In fact, something uh, really uh, was hijacked. Uh, And it was a time where beauty was upgraded to reason. It was a time called the Enlightenment. Does that stir any 7th grade history, world history events? You remember? Okay, a couple hundred years ago, the Enlightenment comes along and upgrades beauty for reason. So we move from things that evoke, that stir. You move from hundreds and hundreds of years where faith was expressed in stained glass window, in poetry, in painting, in song. Now we need proof. Now we need answers. Now we need reasons. Now we really honestly need things to be categorized. And we need God to be put into a box, thank you very much, because he might get out and ruin everything. And so the Age of Enlightenment says, no, we can prove. I don't want to hear what God is like. Tell me who God is. Preferably prove it to me if you can. That was the Age of the Enlightenment. Beauty upgraded now for reason. And that ruled. Reason ruled everything. It ruled everything. Right about the same time the Age of the Enlightenment is kicking off in England and taking a lot of steam, there's something that's happening thousands of miles away. A little colony is becoming a country. And America is born right in the throes of the Enlightenment. In fact, you could even say that America is the firstborn child of the Enlightenment. We are born out of the Enlightenment, born out of an age of reason, born out of proof, born out of truths that hold themselves to be self-evident. You look at it in the language in our Constitution, you look at it the thoughts, the progression of our forefathers and mothers, you see that there was about, we can prove, we can create systems, we can create a, create a democracy that will work. We can prove it, we can prove it, we can give answers to it. And so, faith, as it had been hijacked in England for uh, reason now, the same thing starts to happen in our country when it was born. Faith started looking a whole lot less like faith and a whole lot more like proof. And out of this season, you get things like the four spiritual laws. Anyone ever heard of that before, the four spiritual laws? It would, hardly anyone ever talks about it anymore. Uh, Romans Roads, like, okay, if you just memorize this, you can lead any person to a relationship with Jesus Christ at any time. I can prove it. Uh, and then uh, out of that came the Sunday school model. How many of you grew up going to Sunday school or went to Sunday school and like have flannel graph flashbacks from that? Yeah. Okay. All of that came out of a country created in the context of the Enlightenment, where proof and reason are valued more than beauty and mystery. Okay? There's a whole lot of backstory, but it creates now, we are now living in the after effect of that culture. We are now living in a culture after that culture. A culture that believed for hundreds of years that when it came to faith, all people had was questions and all they needed was answers. All people have is questions. And if you can just answer their big questions, you can win them to God. You can win them over in some sort of like mental leg wrestling competition. You can convince them that you have more answers than them, that your way is better than their way. And in so doing, they will admit defeat and give in and come to Jesus. 
That's kind of been the model for the last couple hundred years, and it's falling apart all around us. Because you know, those of you who are poets and those of you who aren't, know that there's a whole lot more to life than just questions and answers, right? And there's a whole lot more to faith than just getting answers to our questions. What happens when those answers don't seem to meet the questions that we have? What happens when our questions lead to more questions? What happens when the answers that we thought we knew, maybe when we were younger, we're not so convinced of anymore? Who speaks into that? Who has a voice to speak into that? Just just to get kind of a feel, a temperature for the effect of the last couple hundred years of a culture like this, uh, I want to just kind of do a little on-the-spot survey. How many of you, uh, by show of hands, at some point have felt fear or frustration or intimidation because you knew you didn't have all the answers that your friends had questions for about God? How many at some point you're like, oh, dude, I don't want to talk to that person. They're going to stump me. You felt that before? I feel that all the time. And I like, I get paid to be a Christian, okay? Like, I should know these things by now, okay? Like, I, I should know these things. And yet I know there's some people, man, they have questions. I'm like, what if they ask that? I'm not, how do I? And there's questions that I have that I don't have answers to. And so if they ask that one, I'd be like, dude, I was hoping you knew. I mean, you know that fear and that frustration, that anxiety you feel? Do you know why, like, so many people don't want to talk about Jesus with their friends? Because they're afraid they won't be able to answer their friends' questions. And you know what's even crazier than that? Is questions aren't always what their friends have. They're looking for something more lots of times. See, I remember when I was working up in Chicago, at a church up in Chicago, um, there, I, we did a service like this. It was called Axis. And it was a lot like Status. And we had a Saturday night service and a Sunday morning service. And I remember there was this guy on Sunday morning that would come up to me almost every week without fail. He, his name is Doc. And I can't believe that's his real name. But that's the name he gave me. Maybe that's his like internet handle. I have no idea. Like who Doc347 is, but Doc came to me and he was a seminary student at the time and he wore, I just remember, I mean, he's actually a really nice guy. I actually started to like him after a while. Um, he just wore this beret. Like he wore a beret. Not just like, he wore a beret. And I was like, really? A beret? Like were those ever cool outside of the French Revolution? Like really a beret? Anyway, Doc wore a beret. That's not even the point of the story. Um, and after every message, he would come up to me and he'd have big questions for me. Or rather, he didn't have questions for me. He questioned my message. He'd say, well, you know, when you said this, it sounds like a... When you said that story, it sounds like you, you believe in open theism. Are you an open theist? You universalist? You universalist? I'm like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. I, I, and I don't think you do either. I'm just going to be honest with you. And like, he'd throw words around. He'd have questions. Big, big, big questions. What do you think about it? If this is true, I mean, what's the, are we living in the real time? Is this true Israel or false Israel? Is this real? I was like, dude, really, honestly, I can't, I can't do this. And I felt like at times he wasn't just questioning my message. Honestly, I felt like he was questioning me. And I was like, I get frustrated. I'm like, you don't, you don't know how hard this is. Stop bugging me. Why don't you just go away? Like, I'd get so frustrated at Doc. Because, like, he represented to me all the fear and frustration of the last couple hundred years. I've got questions and I need answers. Do you have the answers for me? I've got questions for you. Do you have answers for me? I'm like, I don't have all the answers. And he was huge into apologetics. Do you know what apologetics are? Like, he was, that was what he was studying in the seminary was apologetics. Apologetics is a word that Christians use. Uh, it, it basically means to defend the faith. That's what apologetics is. It's like reasons and truths and answers to defend the faith. It's a, it's a right thing and it's a very good thing. In fact, I think the name is very fitting. It's called apologetics. I think that's exactly where we should start. Apologizing that we don't have all the answers. 
Apologizing that I don't know it all. And apologizing that we screwed up a ton. Now let's talk about faith. Right? So, but he kind of represented this. No, no, no. It's questions and answers. That's what people have as questions. That's what they need as answers. At the same time that I was meeting with him, I was building a friendship with a, a guy named Sebastian, a tattoo artist in Chicago. And when I uh, went in to get a tattoo, I noticed his booth was littered with pictures of Jesus. I was like, this is really fascinating. And so we began to have, without even knowing each other, a spiritual conversation while I'm getting a tattoo. So I'm like, I noticed that you have a lot of pictures of Jesus? Oh, God. Um, and like, I was, you know, I was in such pain, you know. I was like, please answer longer than the question. Um, so, uh, so we began this friendship. And in fact, we would go out and we would talk. And then uh, we, we just started becoming friends. And, it, and at first, that's exactly what he had. He had a lot of questions. And so... Uh, I thought that's what I needed to do is answer his questions. So I was like, well, here's the deal. Uh, come to church. And like, I give a lot of answers out. Maybe that'll help. And maybe you can hear some or something. And so he, he started coming to church. He started coming to our church on Sunday mornings, the same service that Doc was at. And you got to, I wish you could know this guy. I mean, he was the real deal. Covered in ink, more tattoos. He looked a lot like Tommy Lee, but just kind of bigger and more imposing. And uh, covered in ink, big old black cowboy hat. And would come into church... Honestly, our service, right about this time, he'd show up like 45 minutes late. Every time. I was like, do you know, is everyday daylight savings for you? Like, how does this work? How does this work? And he would walk right down the center aisle. We met in a gymnasium. He would walk right down the center aisle, and I'm on stage teaching. He'd walk right up to the front row and be like, well, give me the wave and then take his seat. I was like, like, as if I didn't hear your cowboy boots walking down the basketball court the whole way. Thank you. Yes, it's good to know that you're here. I appreciate you checking in. I'll check that off on my attendance sheet. He just didn't know, he just didn't know the rules. Thank God. He didn't know the rules, right? So we started becoming friends. And what I began to realize early on is you know, we, we, he had some questions. We kind of talked through some of those. And I tried to answer some of those the best I could. But you know what ended up happening? Is we ended up getting into his story. And I ended up getting the sense from him and, and this happened in several other friendships I was having at the time in fact uh, I, wrote, I wrote a book and it's based on this friendship with Sebastian the conversations that we started having because he wasn't looking for answers he was looking for images he was looking for images to connect his heart to he was looking for stories that he could get that he could understand because I tried to like, explain things to him and he honestly he didn't care he was looking for something that his soul connected to so it's no wonder to me that thousands of years ago, Aristotle, great philosopher, said that the soul cannot think without an image. That the soul cannot process without an image to wrap itself around. Isn't that brilliant? The soul cannot think without an image. And what I found as I built this friendship with Sebastian was he needed something to wrap his soul around. And it was images, and it was my story, and it was stories from the Bible that began to resonate and connect with him. In fact, uh, one day he and his wife came to church. This is a little side story, but proves the point perfectly. And they were kind of having a tough spot in their marriage. And so they came to church. We went to the main service. I got to hear the speaker there. And um, and it was about marriage, which is, you know, which is awesome how God does that kind of stuff. And so it was on marriage, and they were having a tough spot in their marriage. And the, this communicator guy just did this silly, stupid, simple thing that I wish I would have thought of. He's talking about in good marriage and good relationships, if we just try and meet in the middle, it's never going to work. We're just never going to meet in the middle. So his whole point was, if we put God in the middle and we meet there, odds are our lives can be blessed, can be changed, our marriages can be enhanced. How simple is that? Well, it revolutionized Sebastian's marriage. 
Seriously, it's something that simple. So we're walking out, we're talking, and he and his wife are talking, they're like, that's it! We've been going like this, we need to go like this! <laughs> I was like, you kidding me? A triangle? I'm like, I could have given you a triangle months ago. That's it? Well, that's just great. I'm just so glad that you guys are going to meet here now. That's wonderful. <laughs> but that was it, right? His, their soul resonated and connected with an image. Soul can't think without an image. It needs something to wrap itself around. And so I began to see, while there still are definitely people like Doc, and while there still are people who have lots of questions and do need answers, because we need truth. This is not to say that we don't need truth, we don't need answers. More and more and more of my friends were saying, yeah, that's, that's good, but I need something more than that as well. I need an image. I need a story. I need something beautiful. I need something bigger than me that can intersect me right where I'm at and connect the dots between my soul and my head, between me and God, between everything I thought and everything I need to know and do and be. That's why we need this voice, the voice of a poet. We need it spoken into our lives and we need to speak it whenever and wherever possible. The interesting thing is for thousands and thousands of years, this is a voice that God has used to communicate to us. See, if you, if you know anything kind of about the Bible, or even if you don't, the basic assumption is when you see it, it's like, man, it's big, it's a lot of words, it's black and white, it's super mega boring. But then you read it and you go, wow, this is different. than it. Now there's parts that are, honestly, honest, super mega boring. Like there's like a couple books in, skip over. But lots of it, no, I, I probably shouldn't say that. Just read them later or something, I don't know. But there's beauty and there's poetry and there's image and there's stories Written all throughout the pages. I want to just give us a, a quick snapshot. In fact, if you have a Bible, it would be great if you opened it to Genesis chapter 2. Because we see one of the first images um, and stories. It's really the, the first story. It's the story of creation. And we see how Adam was created, how we were created, where we came from. And if you look, if you know the story, uh, there, there's six days of creation and then God rests on the seventh day. God rests, right? Even that is a beautiful image. What does God need to rest for? Well, he's given us an image. He's given us a pattern. He's given us a way, a creative way of, of experiencing life. But anyway, uh, God goes through, and everything that happens in the creation story, he speaks into being, and it happens, right? Let there be this, there's this. Let there be this, there's this. Let there be this. But then when it comes to created Adam, he does something different. I think we have it on the side screens as well, or the back screen. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. That's interesting. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. A phrase that repeats all throughout uh, the book of Genesis. The breath of life. And the man became a living being. That's beautiful. That's weird. That's crazy. I'm going to remember that. Because everything else God says, let there be this, let there be this, let there be this. But then when it comes to creating us, God says, ah, I'm going to get around, I'm going to mess around the dirt a little bit. <laughs> Watch this. I'm going to do this thing. And you can imagine like, he's like, Jesus, Holy Spirit, check this out. It's going to be cool. <laughs> Yeah, I know you already know. I know you already know. But check this out. And so he he creates Adam. And that would be enough right there. He could just go, see, live. You know, and, and he could have. And I don't know if this all happened literally or if this is... It would be really cool if it did. Because that's even more beautiful. This is not just an image. But this actually happened. That God leans down into this person created from dirt, dust, and breathes his breath into our lungs. And so our first inhale comes from the very breath of God. His exhale is our first inhale. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful image. That's where our story starts. God gives us this image. It's poetic. It's beautiful. 
the soul can think and wrap itself around that. Let's jump ahead. Life of David. If you're familiar with the life of David, you guys studied David uh, just a few months ago. This is where my wife taught about David here. And uh, I love David because he's like this great sort of anomaly of he's this warrior poet king you know he's like man after god's own heart and yet has huge blind spots and sins massively like just big bold sins and and yet this is someone that god loves and god speaks to and who speaks to god poetically beautifully in fact the book of psalms which we had some readings from earlier lots of those uh, were written by david they're poems they're songs how beautiful is that that in the midst of all the great wonderful foundational theology we have in the bible we have poetry we have songs. We have intimate prayers. In fact, I'm going to have us read one together out loud because we just don't do that enough. We don't read scripture out loud. And this may be a new thing for you and so just, just read along. Uh, but we're going to read Psalm 23. And you may be familiar with it. Um, this is just a beautiful, beautiful piece. David could have just said, okay, here's what God's like. Okay, here's what we're like. But he gives us this beautiful thing. Can, we, can you read along with me right now together? Let's read. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That is just ripe with imagery, isn't it? David could have said, hey, God... You look out for me. When times get tough, you're there for me. Thanks, pal. And he could have easily done that. He says, no, 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 no. You know what it's like, David being a shepherd, the shepherd, warrior, poet, king, says, no. It's like what I knew growing up. God's my shepherd. He walks, he leads me to right paths that are full of green meadows and green pastures. And even when it's dark and when I have to walk through the valley, and I'm sure that I'm going to be attacked at any minute, God is there. His rod, his rod, his, he protects and comforts me. Isn't that beautiful imagery? The majority of the Psalms are written there. And in fact, there's a whole section of the Old Testament called the Poetic Books. Book of Job. Doesn't seem, it's really heavy at first. But then it gets really fun towards the end because God just lays the smack down on Job. It's awesome. <laughs> Seriously, you should read it. Like, I just read this a couple mornings ago. It's like the best. And so it just, you just, you get a sense that, I know sarcasm is bad and it's a sentence from the devil, but you get a sense that God has a little bit of a sense of sarcasm. Read the end of Job, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, so it's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, the sexiest book in the Bible. All of those are poetic books planted right into the middle of the Holy Scriptures. You get the sense that the voice of a poet is something that has been very important to God. Imagery, stories that evoke, that stir, that challenge. These pages are filled with them. In fact, we see no greater example of someone who fully encompasses what it means to speak the voice of a poet and a prophet and a priest and a philosopher all at the same time. And it should be no surprise that it's Jesus Christ himself. He fully embodies all of these voices and speaks into his world and our lives today still through these voices. 
listen to how Jesus was described by John the Beloved in John chapter 1. He could have, he's trying, John's trying to tell the story of Jesus. He's trying to sum it all up for his friends. Kind of like give an account of Jesus. And this is how he starts, John chapter 1. You may have heard this before. Uh, this is what John writes. In the beginning was the Word. That, the Word is Jesus, okay? So he uses that metaphor. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. It's like, whoa, right? <laughs> in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Isn't that beautiful? He could have just said, hey, here's Jesus. He, he was, uh, he's God, so he's always been here, and uh, he's come to give us truth. But John says, no, 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 no. He's like, he's Jesus, he's the Word, and the Word was there in the beginning. The Word was with God. Oh, and not, the Word is God. And everything was made through him. And there's nothing that's been made that's been made that hasn't been made that he didn't make. I mean, like, he's just, he's just trying to get this imagery. And then he goes, okay, he's not only a Word, he's a light. And he brings light, and instead of saying, to the world, what does John use? To darkness. I mean, has your life ever felt like darkness before? I know you're Christian. I know you have joy. I know you have hope. But there are seasons where it's dark. And John says, yeah, into that comes light. And we all know what light does to darkness. You see it all around you. Isn't that beautiful? Could have been just a straightforward theological treatise on Jesus, but it's poetic. In fact, Jesus himself, oftentimes when he taught, would use images, stories. In fact, most of the time when he taught, he's using either an image or a story to tell deep truths about who God is and what the kingdom is like and who he is and who we are. He does it in such simple little images, such simple little metaphors, such simple little stories, everyday things that illuminate deep, deep, deep truth about God. That's what a poet does. That's what Jesus did over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. He didn't do this. He had stories. He had images. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want to take a little, we're going to do a little challenge. I want you to think about some of the images that Jesus used to describe God, to describe himself, to describe us. What are some of the images that he used? I want you to think through those in your brain right now. What are some of the little stories or little images? And, and you may not be, like, figured out the whole faith thing yet. And so you don't have, you can, like, take a pass on this quiz. Or just listen to the person behind you and just say what they're saying. Because I want you to turn to a couple people next to you. Everyone needs to talk to someone. Turn around into groups of, like, three and see how many images or metaphors that Jesus used in his teaching that you can get through in the next 45 seconds. That's all they've given me. Okay? That's all you have. So don't waste time by talking to each other or getting numbers. No. You have 45 seconds to talk about images that Jesus used. Alright? Are you ready? Go. Alright. Cool. Hey, I want to hear if you can shout out, like, loudly and clearly. Uh, like, from the, we'll just go to this section over here. What is one of the ones that you guys came up with? Some of the ones you came up with. Uh, I'm not knocking. You just said it really fast. It just caught me off guard and I shouldn't have done that. That's rude. And I, please forgive me. That was totally rude. I don't even know who said that. That's the, that's why I need Jesus. I'm sorry. Parable of the sower, I believe is what Just quit. Parable, no one's going to say anything now. Parable of the sower. Someone else, please. Who's as bold? What else? Uh, we'll go any, like right here. Prodigal son. Story of a son and a father. That's right. What else? Salt and light. Yep, that's a that's a, like a standard. That's a classic. What else? Fish and bread. Fish and bread. River. Rye. What? Rye, 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 rye. Oh, the, I, yes. I thought you were saying rye. I'm like the bread. 
bride, a bride and a bridegroom. Yes, that's right. That's exactly, that's a beautiful image that Jesus used to describe himself and, yeah, and the church. That's beautiful. Okay, so we can keep going, we can keep going, we can keep going, we can keep going because that's what Jesus did. He said, all right. In fact, this phrase repeats over and over and over again. You can see it in, in Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 30. Jesus says, how then shall I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I tell? Isn't that cool? Because it's, it's a phrase that Jesus uses over and over and over again. He's like, how can I describe the kingdom of God? Like he didn't know. He's like, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story, what parable can I tell? Okay, 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 sheep. You know, and like he starts telling a story. And people are like, oh my gosh, I can remember that. I get that. And Jesus tells this, or he tells a story that's totally shocking and has a, a horrible ending. It catches people by surprise. But they remember it and they talk about it. Wait a second. Why is the Samaritan the blessed one? That makes no sense in our economy, in our social economy. That makes no sense. Jesus is like, yeah, ta-da, deal with it. Like that's, that's, because that's what he uses. He uses images, he uses stories. Seriously, I mean, that's, you see it all throughout the pages of the four Gospels. Jesus, using the voice of a poet to tell deep, deep, deep truth, to speak deep. He could have given us all the answers. Listen, he was a rabbi. He studied with the best rabbis in his day. He was the elite of the elite when it came to uh, knowledge about Scripture and about who God is. He was the elite of the elite. On top of that, he was God. So he wrote the syllabus. I mean, he could have like, he could have come right in and said, okay, seriously, here's what you need to know. Dun, 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 dun. And aren't there times where you wish you would have done that? Wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier? Don't you think it would have been easier if you're like, God's like, okay, listen, here's what happens after you screw up sexually. This is what you need to do. Dot, 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 dot. Okay, this is how you don't get into that situation. Dot, dot, dot. Okay, this is what you do when someone dies. Okay, dot, dot, dot. This is what you don't say to them, you know, to like someone who's lost someone, right? Oh, God, I wish that verse was in the Bible. You know, it's like, he could have done that. But he loved us enough not to. Because he knew that we need more than just answers to our questions. That our soul longs for an image a story, a truth to wrap itself around. That's what affects and moves our lives. That's how God has been communicating to us all throughout the pages of scriptures, all for thousands of years. And that's how God might be wanting to communicate through you. You might have the voice of a poet. You might be one who speaks creatively, beautifully into this community, into your world like we see all throughout the pages of Scripture. How do you know if you have the voice of a poet, an artist? I mean, odds are, if you, if you do anything in the arts, like, that's a no-brainer. You're probably an artist at some capacity. But you don't have to do, I can't draw, I can't sing, I can't do any of that stuff. But I know this is the voice God has given me. Listen, if you're into the journey more than you are the destination, probably, honestly, you have the heart of a poet, the voice of a poet. If you are way more interested in the questions than you are just getting the answers, if you're way more fascinated in someone's story and speaking God or seeing God through the midst of their stories, you probably have the voice of a poet and you are critical to this community. You are critical to faith. Faith was never meant to be a solo endeavor, a private thing. It has always been a collaborative effort. 
It has always been a potluck dinner where each of us brings our voice to the table and feasts at the meal Jesus has prepared for us. So your voice is needed. You can no longer hide it in your journal. You can no longer keep it to yourself because you think it sucks. We need your voice. We need you to speak into our lives. I need you to help me get fresh images of God, fresh truth about who I am. I need that because it gets stale for me and I get stuck in a rut quickly. I need you to wake me up. I need you to give me a different perspective. Shine the light in a new way on who I am and who God is. I need you to do that. Your words, your images, your stories, do that for me. I need that. You need that. We need that. We need you to evoke. We need you to draw out. We need you to move our hearts. Connect the dots. All of you, wherever you fall, whatever it may be, and there's a ton of, you don't have to specifically be an artist. If you have sort of any of the stuff I've just been talking about, if that moves you, if that stirs you, if you watch a great piece of art and you are moved in your heart, then this probably is you. And you need to speak that back to us. You can't keep that to yourself anymore. And I know we're coming out of a culture that has silenced the poet, but it's time for the poets to rise back up. And speak faith back into our world in ways that are beautiful and mysterious and creative and filled with imagination. I need that. You need that. Your friends need that. This world is desperate for images it can wrap its soul around. Maybe God has wired you up to speak that. Now that doesn't mean that it has to get up on the stage. Because that's the first place we go to. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, I need to put a piece together and I want to get, I'm going to call Josh, I'm going to call Cole, and I'm going to tell him about how I wrote this awesome, like, 45 minute one act about, you know, back in World War One. it's this German, and it's a whole, it's like a whole great thing, it's like a big metaphor for our lostness. Maybe, I don't know, maybe. Send Josh the script, he'll read it. Um, maybe, but you know what, probably not. Because the validation from your voice doesn't come from the applause that uh, happens on the stage. The validation for your voice comes from the one who gave you the voice. And you'll know when you're sharing something, you share an image, you just do this with a triangle and someone goes, oh my gosh. You'll sense it and feel it from God. We need it. We need you. We need that voice. And for those of us who aren't naturally poetic artists, and in fact, maybe you have the voice of a philosopher, of a prophet, of a priest, all of us could stand to speak a little bit more poetically about God. He appreciates all the formulas we've made for him, I'm sure, maybe. He's glad that we can boil it down to just this, that, and the other. But the truth about God is he's wild and unpredictable and mysterious and beautiful and more, full of love that our best answers could never even fully wrap their arms around. And it's time that we speak a little bit more beautifully about God. Share your story. Share your story about God with wonder and a sense of, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is, God has been doing this in my life. Give us images. Every one of us could stand, every one of us could stand to speak of God to our friends who don't know Him or when we're together in praxis or wherever it may be, to speak with a little bit more beauty, a little bit more mystery, a little bit more wonder, a little bit more imagination. Truth, yes. But what if our truth was wrapped in the swaddling clothes of beauty and image and creativity? Oh, that's just, I think the soul would respond to that. I think our world is desperate for that. 
So I'm going to call the band back up. And we're going to do, we're going to do that. We're going to sing. It's a very creative, poetic sort of act. We're going to respond to God. But before we do, I want to read you uh, a piece that I wrote. I want to share with you a piece that I wrote, reflecting on the life of David. And uh, this comes from a story I was reading a couple years ago uh, from the life of David where uh, the Ark of the Covenant had been basically kind of just in exile. The Ark of the Covenant was this sort of representation of God's presence in the Old Testament. You know, like, check out Raiders of the, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Melting Faces, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, it had been gone for, for a while, and David went out to get it and bring it back to the people of God so they could see and know again that God was with them. Isn't that, even the Ark is an image. Isn't that beautiful? He says, okay, this is it's not God, but it reminds us of God. So if I go get that and bring that back, uh, it, this will stir people's hearts towards God again. This will remind them of the beauty of God again. And so this is a piece I wrote about David going down to get the ark. And this amazing thing happens when he comes back. He's, he's so filled with joy, so filled with worship, so filled with wonder about who God is. He can't contain himself. And he comes dancing into the city of Jerusalem. But he does it in his, uh, well, the Bible says his linen ephod, which is basically his boxers. He's so stoked on God that his clothes have disappeared somewhere. And I'm not recommending this for our time in a little bit here. Um, but he just like, forget it. He's like, screw it. I'm total abandoned. I'm going to worship God with all my heart. I don't care what anyone thinks. And he comes dancing into the city in his underwear, which is, I just, this is another reason to love God. Uh, and the Bible. So this is a piece that I wrote based on that, and then we're going to worship out of that. This is called David's Dance Party USA. <laughs> it's the best name I could come up with. How long have we been living under the reign of King Saul? Under the slow, tightening grip of the seemingly endless fall, where God's presence seems to have all but faded, where his beauty seems so antiquated compared to the world of now, the world that somehow managed to pack God away in corner, And I know it seems absurd, but he's buried there under so many words. And the echo that we thought we heard exists only in our limited imagination. So imagine a nation formed by God's hand, yet ruled by one man, who could never seem to understand where his power actually came from. But there's a threat to this king, a vision unseen, a new kid on the scene, who's gone down to rescue God's all but forgotten beauty. He says it's his duty, an obligation of sorts, to bring back the source of all that is life and meaning. Meaning, like Kerouac, he's on the road. He's not quite sure where he goes, but hoping that he knows what his heart has been trying to tell him, that it's in this journey that we find, on the road we're defined, that it's not just all in our minds, but in our hearts, like we secretly suspected. And this is where David was corrected and connected the dots that God cannot be kept in a box or confined to clever talks, but that, in fact, God walks and moves and grooves. And he's inviting you and I to try to capture and create, to act and not wait in poem or page or paint. It's not even open for debate. In David's case, it's too late. He's already dancing on through the gates and it looks like he's only wearing his boxers. See, now we see a true king returning, the fire of God brightly burning, the crowd's hearts deeply yearning to undo all their systems of learning that through the years have caused great advance, but have never once caused anyone to dance or join in the great romance of a God alive in his people. So let's burn down these steeples and build us a dance floor right here where we used to keep the doors that for so many years kept the cognitive in and creativity out. 
Let's shout and dance and sing because this is the thing you were created for and nothing more than to worship your God with utter abandon, to put your hand in and stand in the gap created by religion and every other ism that keeps you from being truly alive, from ever really feeling the vibe, not just to survive, but to thrive in the body in which you're living, to use the gift the Creator has given. Brothers and sisters, the invitation is now on your table. To dance like David, if you're able. In the first ever ad campaign for Hanes. Or maybe it was Fruit of the Loom. It doesn't really matter though. Just give me some room so I can get up and do my thing. Maybe I'll sing. Maybe you'll write. Into the wee hours of the night. Taking sheer delight in the overwhelming audience of one. You see, this is where it gets fun. When it's just you and him and you worship on a whim, unconcerned with how well it fits in or how well it might sound in a sermon. Now for this one thing is certain, love has come to our town. Never again to be bound by things that seem so sound. No, he's dancing all around. And this simple truth resounds that if you want to follow God, you have got to get down. <laughs>